Hey, Star Wars fans, this is Ro from the ever-imperial, always sunny Scarif podcast. Recently, it's come to our attention that there's been a security leak here on Scarif Station. I call on all our Imperial agents to be vigilant and to scan the holonet for news and rebel rumblings. I call upon you to access the Jedi Temple Archives podcast for the latest in Star Wars news. Again, this is Ro from the Scarif Podcast, and that's the Scuttlebutt. This podcast is part of the Red 5 Network. For more Red 5 Network podcasts, visit red5network.com. There is more knowledge here than anywhere else in the galaxy. Only members of the Jedi Council are allowed access. Guarding the holocrons is one of the most important duties a Jedi can be given. Do you think you're up to the task? Welcome to another episode of the Jedi Temple Archives podcast. I'm your host, Rob, and we are recording this episode on Sunday, August 1st, 2021. And uh, today, uh, commensurate with the title of this episode, I have asked good friend and head of the Red 5 Network, Ro, uh, from the Scarif Scuttlebutt podcast to join me and talk about Scarif, uh, since I, I'm sure he is probably the subject matter expert since he's crafted his entire brand around them. What's up, Rob? I don't know if I'm an expert, but I uh, sure love me a sunny beach or two. So uh, thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm glad you could make it. Uh, Tom has been, uh, Tom, my usual co-host, has been busy dealing with some family stuff. Sure. And uh, just came back from Florida. So I figured I'd give him a little time to get uh, his feet back on the ground out there in San Diego. And you and I could hit up a topic that uh, I've been wanting to talk about for quite some time. So I really appreciate you joining me tonight and making that happen. No problem. Pleasure to be here. Yeah. So uh, why don't we start off? Why don't you give me a little bit of uh, background on what jumped out at you and, and why you wanted Scarif to kind of be the brand uh, of your podcast? You know, I, I think that um, I'm going to blame Brad on that one because, uh, you know, he's he's kind of like when we first started, he was like the big like marketing guru. He uh, even before we had our very first episode, he was already um, you know, finagling the account and, and, and getting, um, getting people to follow us. We, we probably had a couple hundred, uh, followers even before we had our first episode and, uh, it was great. So he's the king of alliteration. So yes. when, uh, when we were thinking of a, of a title, you know, obviously we were thinking of a couple things, but he, I, I think if I remember correctly, he's the one that came up with the Scarif scuttlebutt podcast and obviously being a navy man and scuttlebutt and talk around the water cooler so that kind of uh that kind of uh, i guess mental trajectory when it comes to our branding kind of stuck um and i think people people like it it's funny it's silly and uh 
you know, there, there's no looking back on this on this one. Even even through our rebranding, you know, it's always, uh, you know, we wanted to geek out with other stuff, other stuff other than Star Wars. Uh, you know, we still like talking about Star Wars, obviously, but now we've got, you know, we talk about Marvel, we talk about all sorts of stuff. But Scarif, Scuttlebutt, again, even through the rebranding, we try to maybe rethink it, but. We've already created this brand uh, in the you know the couple of short years that we were there we're going through it and, and I I personally didn't want to change it and start from scratch yeah um, so we just kept it nice nice it definitely stands out uh, I think Scarif in most circles has a pretty positive uh, mental image certainly it's a gorgeous location uh, very tropical planet uh, within the Star Wars universe kind of set way out in the outer rim which is a little bit unusual for an imperial stronghold but uh, you know I think it's one of those worlds we see desert planets we see uh, you know forest planets like Takadana we see um, you know Dagobah which is all swampy and even Yavin which is more that jungle but we don't see anything else in the Star Wars universe at least in the films to date uh, that really compares with Scarif and uh, my understanding it was shot it was shot down in the Maldives uh, which is a pretty lush tropical location as well gorgeous gorgeous and, yeah uh, yeah certainly that had to be quite an experience going out in the middle of uh, middle of the ocean to shoot most of this this uh, third act of the rogue one film and obviously you know our love both brad and myself our love for that film it's uh one of the you know newer films that uh, really you know hits some high notes when it comes to star wars and new star wars i think it's uh, one of the films that a lot of fans uh, even the ones that are kind of disgruntled and are not really into the the, the newer films, uh, i.e. the trilogy, the new sequel trilogy, you know, Rogue One is really one of those films that kind of brings a lot of people together from all camps. I always, uh, you know, like a broken record, I always say that Rogue One is a love letter to Star Wars fans, and uh, you know, I, I do have to thank uh, Disney and Lucasfilm for giving us such a such a really great an incredible movie. Yeah. And uh, I think, you know, a lot of the success of it certainly had to do with uh, the world building that they did visiting a number of different planets. But uh, as I mentioned before, you know, the, the entire third act of this film really takes place on Scarif and we never get to see this level of ground and space battle kind of going on at the same time. Uh, not a huge number of troops, certainly on the ground, but uh, you know, it was certainly a high stakes event. And, uh, set against that backdrop, you know, you see the stormtroopers rushing through the rushing through the waves coming at the beach. The shore troopers, I think, were a huge hit with a lot of fans. Uh, and I think it's just a really interesting locale that it gets dealt with in the film within the framework of the story. But there's a lot of things that are dropped within that portion of the film that really never get explained. Uh, and I think we can dig into a little bit of that in this episode. Looking forward to it. Awesome. So uh, certainly, you know, as we mentioned, this is located in the Outer Rim, and this is the territory of the galaxy that is far from the core worlds where the Empire was uh, the most strong. Uh, and as we mentioned, you know, one of the advantages of and the reasons behind moving it out here was because uh, the Scarif archive, the the data archive on the, in the Citadel Tower, uh, was the location that held so many of the Imperial secret projects, those clandestine things that they really wanted to keep away from the prying eyes of the Imperial Senate. And uh, you could see a lot of that, certainly Tarkin being involved with it um, and, and he being the guy that we associate with kind of controlling the Death Star in A New Hope. Uh, again, another great character that we just don't really get to delve into within that film. And we get to see quite a bit of Tarkin uh, within Rogue One. And I really think that helped flesh out his character. 
Absolutely. And I still have not uh, read the Tarkin novel. I think I've gotten snippets of it from audio, um, you know, audio reviews and, and some of the comic books that mention it. Um, and I know Brad, Brad has listened to it and has told me a couple of things from it. But um, yeah, it's, you know, Scarif uh, talking about uh, being out there in the Outer Rim territories. I'm sure we'll get into it, but it's uh, one of the things that fascinates me about all this stuff is part partly because of the politics of Star Wars and how, you know, George Lucas has structured uh, even from A New Hope. You've got, you know, this. You know, this tough guy, Vader, chasing uh, an imperial senator, uh, you know, Leia Organa. What did Leia do? Why is she being chased? So there's these hints even uh, in A New Hope about what she was doing or, you know, what she's accused of doing. And it's just so great because, you know, you think it's a kind of a bad guy, good guy situation. But, you know, she says the line, I'm a member of the imperial senate. I'm on a diplomatic mission to Alderaan. So... It's not like she's a rebel at that moment. You know, she's still part of the institution, per se. So it's really intriguing for me. And uh, again, it's one of the reasons that I really love Rogue One and uh, all the the political machinations, I guess you would say. Yeah, absolutely. And certainly the more interesting version of the politics than kind of what we got in the prequel films, which was more the uh, the senators, you know, in the chamber arguing for or against certain things. This is really more the pol- military politics uh, within the empire at that time. And certainly we see some of the uh, the politics of the rebellion as well. But getting back a little bit to Scarif, um, one of the big things about this installation that was built on Scarif and the fact that Scarif was chosen as this uh, very important imperial base kind of far from uh, the core worlds was that uh, about nine years before the Battle of Yavin, they were going to move the Death Star project uh, from Geonosis out to Scarif and essentially complete it there. And it was just one of many of the projects that were undertaken under what was called the Tarkin Initiative. So tying back to to uh, Grand Moff Tarkin, um, and it was overseen by the Imperial Department of uh, Military Research, which if you want to kind of know who these guys are, uh, Mandalorian uh, Season 2, Episode 4, uh, where we first get to see the Dark Troopers and Gideon kind of in his little uh, secret area of the the ship that he was on uh the techs kind of working in the background have this insignia on their jumpsuits that to me looks like a walker footprint uh like an at-at footprint and that is the symbol of this department of uh imperial department of military research which uh the tarkin initiative operated underneath very interesting i love that i'm gonna have to go back and uh do a couple of uh rewatches on uh mando season two love it yeah and then uh some of the other things that are kind of uh interesting about the Tarkin initiative is, is the uh, the logo that he chose for this project uh, for this initiative is the same logo we see on Galen Erso's text in the Imperial Research Facility on Edu where uh, Galen Erso's uh, researchers all get kind of mowed down by the death troopers that were uh, guarding Krennic. And uh, so that was essentially meant to look like a stylized version of a, of a kyber crystal, uh, which was so imperative to that project. Um, Kind of what was your thoughts about, uh, you know, the the whole process of seeing some of these research facilities that uh, the Empire had scattered about? And I have to believe that in the process of building the Death Star, certainly they wanted to keep this secret. So they had to kind of compartmentalize some of these groups uh, and keep them separate from each other. 
Absolutely. I think that's uh, I think that's some one of the aspects of the imperial military that a lot of people kind of gloss over or don't mention or really, you know, don't focus on. I think, uh, you know, to be able to build such a massive um, device, such a massive thing uh, as big as the Death Star, um, you know, and in order for the secret to be, you know, kept under wraps, it, it would you would assume that different departments or different groups would handle one aspect of of this building, uh, you know, the, this building of this this thing. So, you know, whether it's you know propulsion on this side, weapons on this side, structure. I mean, and and somewhere, you know, all these departments kind of get together, all the department heads, and kind of make them fit. But to be able to to separate those departments and separate the the work that is being done to construct such a massive battle station, I think is, I think it's genius on the part of uh, of the empire. I think, um, you know, again, I I don't think a lot of people you know think about it or or spend too much time. I, I think it's uh, people take it for granted um, how well that is thought of mm -hmm. um, and how how effective. Uh, obviously. I don't know if we have we had any stories between uh, the destruction of Death Star One and then, then the construction of Death Star Two. I mean, were they being built concurrently? Or I know, you know, uh, what is that movie with Jodie Foster um, where that time machine thingy was oh, was, was destroyed? Contact? Yeah, for contact. Uh, yeah. contact. Um, so they were talking about how they made you know they made two of them, you know, one right a public one and then one, uh, the, the one that they really wanted to kind of test and, and stuff. So, um, I kind of see it in, in those, uh, terms, but, um, yeah, it's really cool. I think it's awesome. Yeah. I mean, it's certainly within the old, uh, expanded universe. We had a lot more information about the building of these death stars and it was done in a completely different, uh, you know, scenario. It was done within this Maw installation that was, uh, this the space that was between a number of black holes and there was a very specific route you had to follow to get in and out kind of like the uh, you know the Kessel run right to get to Kessel um, but within the current canon I don't really think they've addressed anything regarding Death Star 2 at this point uh, whether that was going on at the same time uh, or whether it was you know something that was just done as quickly as possible it seems hard to believe that they could have uh, I think you're right I think they would have had to at least have it started uh, because it took years for them to build the first the first death star and it took a lot of resources um and a lot of people in order to get that constructed so in order for them to have a pretty quick turnaround between uh the end of a new hope and, and return of the jedi uh, i don't think they would have been able to construct even a partial death star from scratch in that period of time yeah and one of the things again that intrigues me is uh you mentioned geonosis mm -hmm. and we get uh we get a taste of what happened to the uh to the residents of geonosis uh in uh, the uh, animated series of rebels and again just fascinating stuff and and i don't think a lot of people you know really focus on it obviously because it's a an animated show but what happened to all the geonosians um right. It's it's like really scary. It's like chilling to yeah. to know that what the empire did, you know. I I hearken back again to you know the whole JFK thing. It's like what's the rule? The first rule of 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 assassinating a president, you know, kill the assassin. Right. So it's uh it's chilling. It's uh, again chilling uh, what uh, what the empire has done and uh, chilling that uh, that it's even in a Star Wars. You know this fan 
family entertainment, you know, right. kitty show, et cetera, et cetera. I just find it, uh, I find it fascinating. Yeah. And it's not that different than, you know, if you think back to the ancient Egyptians, right, you'd have, they'd bring in the slaves to build the pyramids and then they would essentially kill and bury them, uh, after the construction was complete. So, uh, you know, again, if you want to keep a secret, the best way to do it is kill everyone that knows the secret, uh, right. other than yourself. And I think that's kind of, uh, for the beginning of, of that Death Star project and having the Geonosians all involved with that. Uh, once they became a liability, we certainly know that Palpatine was not beyond taking extreme measures uh, to to keep his secret. I definitely think that that then fed into uh, all these broken out sub projects that then uh, were given various code names that we'll talk about here in just a minute. Absolutely, Palpatine, obviously the uh, the author of this entire scenario. He plays the long game. Poor click clack. <laughs> right, exactly. The lone, <laughs> or one of the one of the lone uh, Geonosians that had survived the massacre of his uh, his people, really. Yeah. So yeah, and again, this is a, a weekly reminder, or, or uh, every two week reminder that you need to watch the animated series. Uh, there's a lot of great content out there that will fill in a lot of gaps within the Star Wars lore that you see from the films. Uh, you know, they have some lighter episodes for sure. Uh, but they have a lot of episodes that really uh, kind of show you what goes on behind the scenes and certainly within Clone Wars, uh, kind of filling that gap between the beginning of the Clone Wars at the end of episode two and uh, Revenge of the Sith. So if you are interested in, in kind of learning about things that you think you know about on a deeper level, the animated series is really your your gateway to that. Totally agree. So, you know, I think one of the big takeaways in Rogue One uh, occurs on the planet of Scarif when Jin and Cassian are looking through the data archive and they're trying to find what this project is classified as uh, so they can steal that data tape. And as uh, Jin is going through it, there's a number of project code names. Stellar Sphere, Mark Omega, Pax Aurora, War Mantle, Cluster Prism, Black Saber. What? Stardust. That's it. How do you know that? I know because it's me. So a little bit of information surrounding those. Uh, certainly some of those were kind of sub-projects underneath that Death Star project. Stellar Sphere, Mark Omega, and Pax Aurora all fall into that. We did, however, and, and again, this is uh, going to be a spoiler for Bad Batch, uh, one of the recent episodes. So if you were behind on that, you may want to skip forward about 30, 30 seconds to a minute. Uh, but War Mantle was just addressed within the Bad Batch uh, as kind of the program that was going to phase out the clone troopers uh, and have them training the the new batch of stormtroopers that were coming up through the Empire. Yeah, I just watched it uh, with the kid uh, a couple of minutes ago earlier tonight. And uh, yeah, it's fascinating. Uh, they definitely uh, uh, helped explain, uh, you know, obviously for years we've had this question of you know, when did the clones get phased out to to become regular stormtroopers, the enlisted, you know, men and women of the Empire? Uh, and we're starting to get our answers. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. And, you know, you can certainly understand why Palpatine would have gone that route uh, as they conscripted more and more planets in the Empire. Uh, the need to actually grow these clones who were going to be unquestionably loyal. Uh, you know, they no longer had Jedi that they were going to. Uh, unleash them on through something like an order 66 so you know at this point he would have had the inquisitorious uh which we've dealt with in an earlier episode of jedi temple archives podcast that was basically his jedi death squad 
and at that point, what he just needed were troops to to enforce the will of the empire, and they were able to just take conscripts off these planets that they had uh, brought under the the reins of the empire, train them, and you know unleash them on the galaxy. Absolutely. Now, as a as a TK yourself, right? TK two two six, correct? That is correct. Now, one one of the fun things about Scarif was that it was generally looked at uh, by senior officers in the Empire as kind of a cushy post where they could semi-retire. Uh, I could certainly see that. I was always looking for kind of the tiki bar on the beach uh, right. when the uh, the rebel troops were running around the planet blowing up uh, everything they could get their hands on. So uh, I could definitely see that being uh, a post where you have uh, Imperials, certainly senior Imperials, but... Uh, that was a really well-defended facility, uh, and that was evident by the fact that they had this entire planetary shield with that shield gate being the only way in and out. Uh, I think, you know, the Imperials had to feel like they were in a pretty secure position, uh, which is why the Rebels under the lead of Jenner, Song, and Cassian Andor were able to kind of get the jump on them. Melchie, talk to me. Ready, ready, standing by. Light it up. Are we blind? Deploy the garrison! Move! Yeah, uh, again, just impressive technology. And you're right. Uh, you know, the uh, the Empire always seems a, a bit complacent when it comes to uh, their, I guess, their strategies or their security, uh, certainly in the case of the Death Star. But uh, we see a little bit of that here as well, because obviously we know, uh, you know, they were able to penetrate the uh, the security shield. So, yeah, it's pretty interesting stuff. Yeah, the other thing about uh, Scarif is that this is a location, not just the Death Troopers, but uh, there's a lot of new TIE uh, variations that we see in that air battle that we don't see anywhere else in Star Wars. And, uh, you know, what were your thoughts on some of the the new ships that they uh, highlighted within that particular film? I love uh, when Star Wars introduces new ships. Uh, I'm always uh, looking forward to seeing some of that. I think there's one TIE variant that was introduced in the animated series, and I can't remember the name of it. We're going to have to look it up, but it's the one that flies over, I think, the planet that uh, that was introduced uh, at, towards the top of the movie. The um, one with Cassian, where Cassian uh, is hiding or looking for his informant. Yeah, that was the Ring of Kafreen. Um, so that was, you know, it was, uh, part of the expansion region. Uh, and so that would have been an area that would have been pretty heavily under Imperial occupation. We definitely see that with the uh, stormtroopers kind of checking out people in the street. Uh, there's a TIE fighter variant in that shot that flies over. Um, and I am pretty sure that that TIE fighter variant, uh, was seen in, uh, in an early season of rebels. Yeah, there were two or three new TIE variants that were introduced, including that TIE Reaper that I think you're referring to, which was kind of an attack lander for troops. Ro has broken the, out his U-Wing here. Which actually is one of the ships that uh, I absolutely love from from uh, the Battle of Scarif and Rogue One. Uh, certainly totally unique, and uh, we know that the Rebellion loves their alphabet. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, for whatever reason. <laughs> right. Uh, meanwhile, the uh, the Empire is using some of the coolest names for their tie variants 
and one that was not put into production. As uh, fans of Rebels and Thrawn know, the uh, the Tie Defender. Tie Defender. Yeah. Yeah, and those are um, those Tie Fighters. I just put. I just posted a. Uh, tie interceptor appreciation post uh, nice. earlier today and certainly uh we saw a few tie interceptors uh, on scarif i think if i'm not uh, mistaken right. and those are probably my favorite along with darth vader's uh you know advanced tie fighter right. i think the interceptors are really one of my favorite they're so sleek and obviously in space you don't need aerodynamics but uh <laughs> they still look pretty damn cool right yeah, for the most part, the Empire definitely gets up cool points for a lot of their TIE variants. I think the TIE Defenders are absolutely awesome. Uh, again, that that was old school uh, TIE Fighter video game material uh, back in the day, and, and it's something that uh, they brought forward into Rebels. They unfortunately haven't really unleashed it anywhere else. Uh, I think it would be really cool if they would have brought that into some of the sequel trilogy, but they decided to go another route. I didn't really find a lot of the the new ships that they introduced in uh, sequel trilogy at least on the imperial side to be that interesting but uh certainly within rogue one uh we got some great new variations as well absolutely you know i'm looking at your list here of project code names yeah. and you know we we do obviously have some of the items that we are uh very familiar with obviously black saber War Mantle, like you mentioned, was just introduced right. uh, in the Bad Batch. Um, but uh, I'm really interested uh, to find out if we're going to see any more uh, clues or details about the rest of these. Because, uh, you know, Mark Omega. Um, and then, you know, getting back, getting into the biblical aspect of Alpha and Omega, you uh, we heard uh, Alpha being Boba Fett. He was the first clone Omega, uh, from a biblical standpoint, is the last uh, in the list. Uh, right. I am the beginning and the end. Mm -hmm. So I'm very interested to see. And obviously, you know, again, just George Lucas pulling from, you know, from from history and lore and legacy and, and fables and, and, and stuff like that. So I'm very interested in finding out to see if if maybe we'll see a little bit more. Uh, especially in the Bad Batch, because obviously that's what uh, everybody's watching now. But uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's really cool. Yeah, it's interesting you bring that up because I had seen uh, something that was mentioned regarding uh, some comments that Gareth Edwards had made when, when he was working on uh, kind of the early phases of Rogue One. And Scarif was literally chosen kind of as an homage to George Lucas because in talking about locations for the film, uh, they had discussed the fact that he really had addressed every possible theater in World War II except for the Pacific. Uh, and what we see within Scarif is very reminiscent of some of those locales that you could see uh, the U.S. Marines having to storm uh, within the Pacific uh, theater in World War II. So uh, it was definitely kind of one of those pieces that fit very very much with kind of the thinking of George Lucas. And I think that's one of the reasons why uh, it resonated so well with fans in the theater. Absolutely. And uh, speaking of uh, Gareth Edwards, I'm reading a, a quick little anecdote regarding the name Scarif and how oh. uh, it was basically uh, – you know, selected by a Starbucks barista that screwed mm -hmm. up the, the name of something. But, uh, yeah, yeah, I've should, seen that. Should look it up. I'd seen that as well. He, uh, he had given his name and they had misunderstood and, and just wrote Scarif on his mug or on his, <laughs> uh, on his Starbucks cup. So right. again, it's, uh, it's that 
creative. There's certain things that come out of the creative process. There's other things that just get dropped in your lap. So uh, definitely a funny little anecdote kind of about the background of Scarif itself. Um, the other thing that I wanted to address within this that, that kind of ties in uh, through Scarif, but back to uh, some of these code names that the Empire was using for these components of the Destra that were getting created. And Gareth, uh, uh, not Gareth Edwards, but uh, Galen Urso, uh, in the process of him being recruited and, and brought on board this Destar project, he was originally assigned to something called uh, Project Celestial Power. And the interesting thing about that is that he was not un under the impression that he was building a super weapon. This was pitched to him that this is going to be sustainable energy uh, to kind of help these worlds that have been ravaged by the Clone Wars. Uh, so it was not until much later in the process that uh, he started to get suspicious about the fact that this was not going to be this uh, beneficial program that he had been sold. Uh, and started to realize that he was actually working on a weapon. And that was what led to him and his family fleeing. Uh, and we end up finding them on that planet, uh, Lamu, at the beginning of Rogue One, which is where they've been hiding from the Empire, uh, essentially, to get away from Krennic. Yeah, it's, um, you know, that's uh, that's the Empire, again, compartmentalizing right. uh, the uh, process. And, uh, you know, by the time Galen uh, finds out, uh, you know, I think it's too late, obviously. And, you know, we know what happens when he's found. But, you know, it's uh, quite clever for Urso to uh, put that little uh, bit of defective uh, technology in, in the Death Star. And right. uh, just, a, just again, just a wonderful, a wonderful process uh, of uh, selecting that line in uh, the crawl for for the original Star Wars to kind of expand and, and create this this Rogue One this this movie uh, that kind of tells us the story of of how it was done yeah. it's just fantastic yeah well and again that's the interesting thing I mean there are still elements of the OT Star Wars that could be explored without having to get into a story of Luke or Leia or Han. Uh, you know, we could learn more about Dantooine and what, what went on on Dantooine. Yeah. So there are, there are locations, there are opportunities if they wanted to explore them that I think would really resonate with OT fans. I think uh, one of the things that this film showed is that uh, you don't have to have a lightsaber wielding Jedi or even, you know, the big name star power that, uh, that Mark Carey and uh, Harrison brought to the original trilogy to still tell a story that is in the vein of the OT and uh, carries that kind of feel to it. Hashtag remember the Bothans. Yes. Yes. Manny Bothan, uh, their leader. <laughs> That's racist. <laughs> of course it is. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So uh, anything else you want to bring up regarding Scarif specifically or? Uh... No, I mean, you know, I, I, I remember watching the film and really just being blown away, like you said earlier, regarding all the planets that we visited, you know, from the beginning all the way through, you know, you, you get uh, you get that those visuals of uh, Jin Erso being uh, rescued from the, uh, the 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 tank trooper, which uh, I think that's the first time we've seen that in in live action. I remember buying that for my son uh, many Christmases ago, probably one of the more expensive toys. Mm -hmm. Um, that you can fit like a whole bunch of little clone troopers inside. Um, so those are really cool. I mean, again, just this all all these uh, all these planets and scenes and and ships, uh, really a, a really beautiful texture. I mean, visiting visiting Jeddah was just an amazing experience. The tank battle in the middle of this town, this kind of like 
you know, almost like a worn, torn Middle Eastern yeah. European kind of thing. It's uh, urban warfare. Uh, and it really just opens up just a, a new way of, of telling this story uh, of this rebellion, this galactic rebellion, and just in, in a in a more grounded way. You know, like you said, there's no Luke Skywalker. There's no Darth Vader. There's these little battles that are are still as exciting. And, and you know, some may argue even more so because it's it's kind of like the common man. Yeah. And uh, I, I find uh, that that is, uh, again, just one of the reasons that I really really love uh rogue one and and everything that it has introduced to the star wars you know community and and the lore and, and just everything about it i can't say anything I, I can't say enough about uh how much i love rogue one yeah i would say you know even beyond rogue one we have seen that even through the video game star wars battlefront 2 uh had a really cool story mode uh where you're playing from the 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 vantage point of someone who was definitely in the imperial camp during the battle of endor uh and you kind of see their progression in the years after uh with Iden verso and uh basically the the members of her stormtrooper special ops unit so uh i think that you know even from an imperial side there's there are cool stories that could be told uh and people could get on board with that aren't going to be necessarily going way back or way forward but are fleshing out uh, stories that we already know and love Absolutely. And I'm wondering, you know, when Jen Erso stumbled upon that list of secret project code names, I wonder if there's uh, if there were any other names in there. And obviously, you know, we we um, wasn't there one regarding the um, and we see this technology kind of fleshed out in the sequel trilogies where they pull a ship out of hyperspace. Oh, yeah. The interdictor cruisers. Yeah. I don't know uh, that there was anything, any of the, the names of the projects that, that she read off that would apply to that. Um, the ones that we didn't talk about, Cluster Prism, to me, sounds like some sort of focusing device that they would have potentially used in the Death Star. Uh, Black Saber, there's been nothing released to date to definitively talk about what Black Saber was. Uh, I think a lot of people would associate that with the Dark Saber. Uh, which we see in uh, Mandalorian and, and in Clone Wars and Rebels, actually. But uh, I saw somewhere that someone had brought up the fact that that could also have been uh, kind of the Imperial code for whatever the, the project was that wiped out the Mandalorians from Mandalore. Uh, and it could very easily apply to that as well. Um, so it would be really interested to see if any of those get addressed within Bad Batch or Mandalorian or any of these other uh, kind of veins that they've got going plus we have new content that's coming out some of these would be great for cassian uh and in his yes, series i totally agree you know this harkens back to uh you know indiana jones and uh world war ii nazis where you know hitler was just really fascinated by the occult and and the holy grail and the ark of the covenant and all those things that uh the nazis at the time you know supposedly had collected and filed away um, so it's, you know, it's kind of keeping in tune with kind of George Lucas's, um, you know, interpretation of, of some of the real world things that he brought into this fable, uh, which I, you know, like I said, I mean, it's, it's just fascinating. Love mm -hmm. it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we know that, uh, you know, Himmler, uh, within, within the third Reich, was very interested in the occult and, and things along those lines. So I definitely think there's a parallel there. Um, and uh, again, interesting content that they could explore. And I think a lot of fans would be very interested in that. And I'm looking forward to the fact that with the content they have coming out, it's not all 
the same type of thing. I think we know Cassian's going to be more the spy type thriller. Uh, we've got Ahsoka's series that's going to be coming out. I think Kenobi is going to be interesting just to see what they do with his story. But uh, they're going to have a lot of options for ways to kind of thread some of this stuff into canon. Absolutely. Awesome. So what have you got going on on Scarif? What's coming up with you guys in the next few weeks? Well, we uh, we just wrapped up uh, on Thursday. We dropped uh, our uh, episode on time travel, which uh, was a lot of fun. We uh, uh, talked about our favorite time travel uh, movies and TV shows with uh, one of our patron supporters, Frank. Uh, Shanti and I, we uh, just had a lot of fun. We are dropping, I think I'm going to drop it on Tuesday, our Quick Cuts episode that we recorded with uh, the guys at the Escape Pod. And, uh, you know, we're planning and, and uh, scheming and trying to, uh, you know, really go full-fledged and, and do some uh, more collaboration with not only, you know, some members of the Red 5 uh, network, but some of the other followers and some of the other podcasts that really, you know, have supported us and we support each other. Whether you're in Red 5 or not, I think we've got uh, such a really great and awesome community that I'm looking forward to kind of talking with people that, you know, that are kind of outside our 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 red five circles. So it's, it's exciting. And, uh, just looking forward to that. Yeah. I mean, to, to the point of red five, I think one of the interesting things is a lot of the people that are now part of red five in in one vein or another, uh, are people that we were interacting with, uh, even before they were part of the network. And that's kind of uh, one of the ways that it's grown. And certainly even people who are not part of the network that we interact with on a regular basis at cam Ray, uh, you know, certainly there are a lot of very creative people out there and, we're not saying you got to join in order to uh, to be friends with us. We are open and and uh, inviting to pretty much anyone getting them on and having a good discussion about whatever their particular nerd flag is. Absolutely. Um, and with that being said, I wanted to uh, offer up a uh, you know on the Scare Scuttlebutt podcast we usually have a little segment called Sentry Mode, and I wanted to see <laughs> if uh, you can create a one question Sentry Mode for uh, for your audience. And I would like to uh, donate this uh, Star Wars: The Mandalorian, uh, the Bounty Collection, uh, little Grogu in the hat. Here. Oh, nice. And uh, if you can think of any question, uh, obviously you have to listen to maybe you'd listen to this show or whatever, whatever you want. And uh, I will uh, donate this and send it out to uh, one of your listeners uh, just for for saying thank you for listening to uh, me rant on your show. Yeah, absolutely. I really appreciate that, Ro. And I will uh, plug that question in right after we get done with this conversation and let you know who comes back with the winning answer. Excellent. I will take a nice little snapshot and uh, text it to you so you can use it for uh, promotional purposes. Really appreciate that. Thank you so much for your generosity and uh, appreciate you coming on, spending some time talking Star Wars with me tonight. Absolutely. My pleasure. And that's the scuttlebutt. It always is the scuttlebutt. All right, so here's the question we are going to pose to you this week. Uh, Sentry Mode, which Ro often does on his podcast, uh, is one of those quizzes that sometimes can get a little bit difficult. And I think for this particular uh, question, we are going to go with a little bit more of a difficult question, something that isn't necessarily easily answered if you are familiar with the film. Uh, But what we are looking for this week is the name of the Hammerhead Corvette 
that Admiral Raddus ordered to ram into the Imperial Star Destroyer, uh, causing it to crash into another Star Destroyer, which ultimately destroyed the shield gate uh, on Scarif there on the planetary shield. So if you go ahead and reply to the post on Twitter under our at JTA podcast account where I have posted this episode, then uh, whoever answers that first will win this awesome little Grogu with the Mando helmet uh, mini that Roe has provided. And it is also courtesy of Alley Cat Comics, where we hold ScarifCon each year. So uh, once again, thank you to Roe for that generosity. Good luck to those of you out there who are big fans of Rogue One. And uh, once again, just go ahead and uh, reply to my post where I post this episode under at JTA Podcast on Twitter. And the first person that answers that will be the winner of this item. So thank you again to Roe and Alley Cat Comics for providing that. Thank you to you guys all for listening this week. If you want to reach out to us to talk about anything related to Star Wars, you're welcome to do so. Uh, Typically on Twitter at JTA Podcast, as I said. Also via email at jtapodcast at gmail.com. And you can find all our episodes on your favorite podcatcher or more easily at jtapodcast.com. So thanks again for listening. Hope you all have a wonderful week and may the force be with you.